Oh man, this is good. Yep. That's right. I think we should tell people that we have a new format where we've already started drinking. (laughs) Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Anne. I like flowers and sunshine, and I'm so glad that it's spring. And I'm Drea, and I am currently contemplating my future as a wine school dropout. So as we get started with episode three, um, we made it. We made it to our third episode. So thank you for listening. Uh, We are very excited because we have received our first Instagram fan who we do not know personally in the flesh. I feel like that's a big deal and we should celebrate it. So thank you, Amy. Thank you to our one Instagram fan who does not already know and choose to put up with us. We love you. We do. We love you very much. Um, Tell all your friends. Give us five stars. Thank you. Okay, should we get into our cheers and jeers, Drea? I I feel like it's time. I feel like it's a good time to get into those cheers and into those jeers. So, Anne, what are you cheersing this week? This week, I am cheersing to our friend, Michael, who gave us some podcasting tips, and hopefully it makes our sound better. And if it doesn't, I'm just going to cut this entire part out. And I'm also cu- cheersing to Lil Nas X, who just released the fabulous hit single, Montero. Drea, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but I am wow. in love, in love love. Uh, So that is, those are my two cheers for this week. My jeers is also Lil Nas X related because jeers to the governor of South Dakota who got into a Twitter fight with Lil Nas X about this new single Montero when there's a effing pandemic going on. What are you doing? Do your job in the words of Lil Nas X. (laughs) All right. What about you? Okay. So I have two cheers this week. First, Cheers to you for getting your vaccine appointment. I am so excited for you. I am so excited for the idea that we may actually get to record this together in the flesh at some point this century, like before we retire our podcast. This is great. Also, I just like want to see your face. Like I want to see your face next to my face. So I almost cried when I got the appointment. I was very excited. So yeah, looking forward to in-person recordings of these episodes sometimes. And in-person shenanigans, obviously. And then um, I want to cheers to my mom for being possibly our biggest fan. And she left us a very nice review on Apple Podcasts. So thank you, mom. Um, It's really sweet that she's proud of the alcoholic I've become. So thank you. (laughs) And my jeers for this week. So I spent $125 on a wine seminar through a reputable establishment. I want to make that clear. I will not name said establishment because that would be real shitty. But it was just kind of the worst. I was super nervous because, you know, wine people are wine people and I'm not wine people. And I have a different kind of approach to how I enjoy wine. And this particular course was on viticulture. So it was all about the growing and the production of wine, which is my favorite part of the game, because I I love to learn about like dirt, soils and slopes and all the stuff. And it was just kind of like, we didn't really talk about those things as much as I would have liked. The guy who led it really hated natural wines, which I was completely offended by. And I don't know. I honestly felt like the tour I took at Freshenet in Spain was more informative. And just for some context, like that was the third stop on that wine tour. And I was real drunk by the time I got there. And uh, I think I learned more from they have a little train. They have a little train that takes you through the cellar and then they tell you all this stuff about the wine. I may have learned more on that tour. So it was kind of like, but I'm going to try again at a different place this time and see if my luck changes. We'll see. But that's my jeers. Well, keep us posted and let us know how it goes. And obviously, you are basically my version of a wine seminar. So uh, thanks for letting me learn from your mistakes. (laughs) 
You're welcome. Anytime. I also have a kind of cheers or jeers segment that I thought we could talk about because it's kind of hilarious. And I think I texted you this article and you just ignored me, which is fine. I was saving it for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So our should we cheers it or should we jeers it is space wine. Space force. (laughs) SpaceX. All the space. All the space. All the wine. But this is a real thing. I think it was SpaceX, actually, who shot up 12 bottles of Bordeaux. And Elon Musk. <laughs> this is very Elon Musk. This is very like something so ridiculous that only he would do it. And they sent them to the International Space Station. They were packed very tightly in steel cylinders and the wine was never uncorked. So these were, you know, 12 bottles that were just packed. They shot them up into space. They hung out at the space station for a full year as part of an experiment to see how gravity and oxygen affect the fermentation process. Then, year out, they shot them back on down to Earth, and they've actually opened a couple of the bottles that have been, like, sniffed and sampled by really fancy psalms. But what's interesting is that these psalms did see noticeable differences between the space wine And then the bottles that stayed on Earth. So they tasted both of them. The one, the space wine, the cosmic bottle, apparently seemed to mature a little bit more. And so the one that was on Earth stayed, like, it hadn't fully opened up its bouquet yet. It it was a bit more tannic. It tasted younger on the palate, so it was a bit drier, you know, where your your kind of mouth feels a little bit dry. Whereas the other one actually matured a little bit more. It had a little bit more energy to it, uh, a little bit more body. So the weightlessness didn't ruin the wine and actually made it kind of fantastic. They also took, during this trip, vines up too. Took a, some snippets of a Merlot vine and a Cabernet vine. Um, hmm. And scientists found that the vines actually grew faster in space than they do on Earth, even though there was less water and less light. So what does one of these fancy cosmic bottles of wine, what would what would a gal like you or me have to pay to get our hands on one of these? $6,000. <laughs> okay, so this will be our very special 600th episode. Uh, <laughs> we, I, th- I feel like we're going to need a serious Patreon fundraiser for this or... You know, we're going to have to get more fans than than Amy because our... our Dear Elon, get in touch. (laughs) So that's a story with the cosmic wine that we will probably never try. Anne, is this a cheers or a jeers for you? I feel like as soon as something involves Elon Musk, it's an automatic jeers for me. Sorry, Elon, please support our Patreon when we set it up. I just feel like this is such garbage and such like... I don't know. I just felt like the entire time we were talking about it, we were basically jeersing it as we were discussing. That's fair. What about you? As you know, and as some of our listeners may know, I am, in fact, a garbage person. So I'm going to I'm going to give this a bit of a cheers for the sheer reason that when we destroy this planet and terraform Mars, I have some hope for future generations that they can enjoy wine in the same way I do, often and irresponsibly. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. Well, let's get into segment two, this week's shenanigans. And I think our audience should know that our first shenanigan this week is that we have already started drinking our wine. So... I'm about half a glass in. I don't know how far Dre has gone, but let me just say it's pretty damn delicious. It's so good. We're in for a treat this time. Okay, and now for the shenanigans game, we are going to play an old classic, Two Truths and a Lie. So we're each going to tell each other two drinking-related truths and one drinking-related lie and see how well we really know each other. So do you want to start or do you want me to? Uh, either... 
Go well, I'll it. just start. Yeah, I'll, go I take it. I take it back. I take the you question should. back. I'm going to start. You should. This was your, it was your idea to drink earlier, by the way. It was my idea to drink earlier, and it was my idea to play this game, and then I didn't actually think of both of them until later. Mm-hmm. So, okay, mm-hmm. here's my first one. My childhood home had a grape arbor out back, and for a couple of years, some guy came and picked our grapes and made wine that he then brought back to us later. That's number one. Number two... I made my first sangria at age 12, and I wasn't allowed to have any when I made it, but I did make the whole thing. Uh, And then also as a child, this is very child-themed, I made Mirovor for my dad, which is the elvish drink from Lord of the Rings, because I was a very cool child, and we were big nerds in my house. Uh, And I actually made it out of honey, apple juice, and flowers. Okay, that one's definitely true, I think. I'm, oh, this one's hard, because I feel like in your household growing up, you totally could have made sangria, but I also feel like they might have had let you have a little sip, so not really buying that one. Um, but I also feel like this random dude making like wine out of these grapes that you're just to grow in. I feel like I would have heard this story before. So I'm going to say that the lie is the rando making the wine. The lie was actually Mirovor for my dad. I never made a fake wine from Lord of the Rings. You know, God, this is just like me finding out I'm a Merlot. Like I am shook. Who are you? Who so, are you? <laughs> the reason I came up with this lie was that I knew it would be a it would be a red herring and you'd be fooled because I am this big a dork. <sighs> um, but yeah, we had we had a grape arbor growing in our backyard. It was really cute. You could like go underneath and sit under the grapes and there was just some rando who like was walking down the alley behind our house one day and like talked to my parents and was like, "Hey, I make wine. Can I like come and pick all these grapes?" And he did and I don't remember ever trying the wine, but I don't think my parents were impressed. And I did make my first sangria at age 12 for my dad's 50th surprise birthday party, which had like, I don't know, 20 or 30 people there. And I think that was why I was not allowed to have any was that there were like other adults around. Uh Though they were all friends of my parents, so I don't think they would have cared either. I am. Okay, well, you know what? Now we're going to make this fucking Lord of the Rings drink one day so I can feel less betrayed. Also, I see what this is. I did. I thought we were just having innocent fun, but clearly some bitch showed up playing to win. I see. I see what this is. Yeah, some bitch did. (laughs) All right, your turn. Okay, so this is my like travel edition of Two Truths and a Lie. So, okay, I once packed 12 bottles of wine in a single suitcase to come home. Second statement, I have been on the same wine tour approximately nine times. So either I'm a liar or I really like that tour. And then finally, I was once on a wine tour and fell asleep in a vineyard. Okay, so... That is the one that seems the least believable to me. I just do not believe that you would fall asleep in a vineyard. You're too into wine. It's like your happy place. I know for a fact that you have packed bottles of wine home in suitcases before because I've seen you do it. I just don't know if the number 12 is correct there. And the same thing with the wine tours. I know you have been on the same wine tour multiple times. I just don't know if the nine is correct. So in either case, both of those feel very much in keeping with your personality and falling asleep in a vineyard does not to me. So I'm going to say that is the lie. You are correct. But for the record, for the record, those numbers are accurate. I did get 12 bottles in a single suitcase once. And I have, in fact, been on the same goddamn wine tour nine times. But I have not, in fact, fallen asleep in a vineyard. I do want to say, though, for the record, for when you take me on this wine tour that you've been on nine times, that I will absolutely fall asleep in a vineyard. That is 100% in my personality. I just like can see the warm sunshine now being full of snacks and olives and wine, and I'm just going to pass out. I can already I can already predict it. John has fallen asleep in a vineyard before. 
We're the same. Yep. Okay. Are you ready for round two? Ugh, we're just going to call this my redemption round. So here we go. I wrote a short story in college, which featured two cats named Merlot and Moscato. <laughs> That's it. Hillary's name is changing. She will forever be now known as Moscato. <laughs> So that's number one. I still pick wines mostly based on the labels, unless you're picking them for me. Alert to the podcast listeners, Drea has picked all the wines so far on this podcast. Yeah, we really uh, need Anne to do some heavy picking lifting. Picking <laughs> wines based on the label is not actually a good method. And the third statement, not saying if it's a truth or a lie, is that I currently have six bottles of wine under my bed. All right. Thank you for giving me a softball here. Um, you're a better writer than that. You would never have a short story with two cats named Merlot and Moscato. <laughs> and I know for a fact that you have wine under your bed right now because I yelled at you about it last week. And I think we all know that statement number two is true. You got it all right. Uh, I have not yet written a short story about two cats named Merlot and Moscato. But I do have to say, when I came up with this lie, I was like, I need to make it true. I need to write a short story with these two cats, like a murder mystery with these two cats at a winery. Perfect. It writes itself. Boom. You're going to have a show on the Hallmark Network before you know it. Okay, take us home. All right. So uh, my next one is College Edition. And this involves a lot of different alcohol. So have at it. Uh, Okay, so statement one. I once stole a tiki mug from a very nice restaurant. Statement two. I once drank a whole bottle of wine during a two-hour graduate seminar. Statement number three. I never once paid for my beer at my favorite pub in college. All of these feel very, very in keeping with your personality. (laughs) Um, I feel absolutely certain that you have stolen a tiki mug. I might even know that. I might just be too drunk to remember that I knew that. But I definitely feel like you've stolen a tiki mug. I can absolutely believe that you would drink a whole bottle of wine during a two-hour seminar. Yeah, you met people I went to grad school with. And what I need everyone to know about Drea, who's listening to this podcast, is... The girl has moves when it comes to uh, making friends with alcohol-adjacent people. So I can absolutely also believe that she never paid for a beer. She has some of the best relationships, I think, that I've seen in the wine business. And I say that as a person who, like, does not go outside or talk to people. So I have huge respect for for her game, and I don't think she's paid for beer. Which makes this really hard, Drea. It makes it really hard. (laughs) You're not the only one who came to win. (laughs) You and I both have a great deal of respect for how much money higher education costs. And I have a little bit of a hard time believing that, like, if you were in a class, you wouldn't, like, you know be in class and paying attention and sober. But I also believe that you could be in class and paying attention and drinking. But I think that's the one. I don't think you've drunk a whole bottle of wine during a two-hour seminar. I think that's it. (sighs) Once again, you got me. I have not done that. I should have. I should have so many times. I did a lot of other really horrible things in grad school. That was not one of them. If I had done that, I probably would have been way less horrible. I did take a tiki mug with two accomplices. Yeah, that was not my finest moment. But that's how I we formed our like little gang trio in college. So we're bad people. I knew I knew about this because she told you you, me and one of the accomplices also stole champagne glasses from a Broadway theater play (laughs) last year. So I it just felt too familiar. Two years ago. Two years ago. You were mi- No. Yeah, I know. I know. Last year was the lost year, remember? Yeah, that is... Yeah, sorry. Okay, I'm still a bad person. So nothing's changed. And now I'm making other people be bad people. Like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. And then the beer thing. So here's the story. Um, I, I was nowhere near as awkwardly smooth as I am now. But... Uh, In college, I was a tour guide and we used to have staff meetings on Fridays and they were always terrible. And then a bunch of us would go to our favorite pub and there were always like three bitches standing at the end of the night. And it was me and two of my girlfriends 
And, you know, people were like ordering food and ordering pictures and they'd get drunk, throw down a 20 and leave. So at the end of the night, we just had a huge stack of bills. And the tip that we left was way more than the tab, which is fine because I'm sure we were awful and they hated us. But since we were the last three there and there was all this extra, never once paid for a beer. Which just goes to show that those who can last prosper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're already into this bottle, but let's get all of you into this bottle. Okay, so what are we drinking today, Drea? So we are drinking a fabulous white, and I am probably going to butcher this completely, so forgive me. So this is actually a wine from the Basque region in northern Spain. The winery is called Ulacia, and this is a Chocolina. So Chocolina is a Basque word. Um, it is spelled T X. A-K-O-L-I-N-A. Um, but you pronounce it Chocolina or Chocoli if it just has the I at the end. And this is a 2019. Um, the reason I selected this one is as we were planning out episodes and kind of talking about, you know, the desire to travel again and go places, we were, Anne and I were talking about some of our favorite vacations and Obviously, I'm obsessed with Spain and Spain, Spanish wine and Spanish food. And I decided to go with this bottle because this is the bottle that I refer to as my gateway white wine. This is the wine that showed me that I could and actually really did love white wines. So growing up in California, you know, and being exposed to the California white wines that we have those wines never appealed to me. Like a big Napa Valley Chardonnay, I am just not into that. This wine, though, the first time I tried it, I was just instantly in love. So it is a really effervescent, so very slightly sparkling, bone dry white wine with high acidity and a low alcohol content. This also makes it a really great wine for spring and summer. Like it is a solid porch pounder, but it's still interesting and it's still fun and it's still really lively on the palate. So yeah, Ulacia is one of the, even though they're a small producer and we'll talk about that in a minute, is one of the few Chocolinas that you can find pretty pretty readily available in the U.S. and probably because of the, the region that they come from and uh, all of the like foodie culture that's associated with the Basque region. Price point is probably between 20 and 25 bucks, which, you know, is honestly a great value for everything that you get in this bottle. So it's probably one of the better deals on the market for an imported wine that really has a high level of interest. It's a really good bottle of wine. So good. So good. <laughs> worth it. Absolutely worth it. You don't even have to send this wine to space. You don't. You, do you hear that, Elon Musk? And it is mineral AF, um, which we'll get into for sure. But let's talk about the winemaker because so I've been drinking this bottle probably about five or six years. They started originally carrying it at my local wine shop in my neighborhood and it became an instant favorite, maybe even longer than that. But I didn't know a lot about the winemakers. I knew a little bit about the region. So researching this wine for this episode was really fascinating for me. And I loved all the stuff. Okay, so uh, Ulacia is a family name. And it is a family of winemakers. The winery was originally founded in the 1940s. So just post um, Spanish Civil War. You know, the Basque region was hit very hard by the war efforts. There's been a lot of 
separatist movements over the year. The Basque are also very culturally independent. So they have a different language system. Um, the food culture is very different. Some of the holiday stuff is different. Like even the name Chocolí or Chocolina, the root word is the Arabic word for thinness. But the fact that this family was able to, you know, create this winery and start this business post-Spanish Civil War, again, um, is a pretty big deal. If I'm remembering my Spanish history correctly, post-Spanish Civil War, Franco is coming into power. Under Franco, the Basque region suffers tremendously because there's this whole idea of like uniting one Spain. And obviously, you just said the Basque region is so different. Um, so it's pretty impressive that this winery was able to get started and then continue through that period of repression to today. Absolutely. And I, I do think that that's really important to note that it was a very long period of oppression, right? So essentially, Spain is under a dictatorship until Franco's death in the 70s, in the early 70s. And it's not until then that this idea of a united Spain takes on a really different shape. And it's not until then that the Basque region gets a lot more attention as a touristic destination. Uh, it continues to be family owned and operated, and they are now on their third generation of winemakers, which I also think is just super cool. And they are a pretty small vineyard. They produce three different wines, uh, two whites and a rosé. Uh, they produce about 6,000 cases annually, and most of those are locally consumed in the Basque region even today. So despite the fact that they do have a pretty healthy export business, most of their wines do stay there in the Basque country. So we are really lucky that we were both able to to get a piece of this bottle over here. I definitely had to look at a couple of other wine shops online before I was able to find it in the New York area. But like I said earlier, this is so worth it. Sorry, I'm just pausing for a sip because it's so good. Okay, so let's talk about the winemaking process because I think that that's going to give us a sense of why this wine is so wonderful and what's different from a California white. So most people have had California whites, I would say. If you're if you're drinking white wine, you've probably had a Chardonnay, you've probably had a Sauvignon Blanc. And, you know, absolutely no shade by the statement, but it probably came from a grocery store. So it's probably from you know, a bigger producer, which is fine. That's not to say that those wines can't be good. And again, you can ignore everything I say. Wine is so much about personal preference and personal point of reference. But typically, like those wines are, are kind of point of reference for what a white tastes like. And oftentimes, those wines are not very fruit-forward. So they tend to be more floral in their aromas. They tend to be rich. And so if you think about like a uh, California Chardonnay that's been fermented and aged in oak, that oakiness translates to what I call the California butter bomb. And a lot of your commercially produced larger vineyard wines that is under the $10 mark tends to be over oaked. And what happens in the aging process is the winemakers will age that wine a little bit longer than they probably should. And part of that is intentional to really mask the imperfections in the wine. So you're getting that richness, but you're not really getting the fruit. And so a wine like this Chocolina is very fruit and very terroir forward for a white. So these grapes, their harvest is always at the end of September, beginning of October, which is really the typical like harvest time across most of the wine growing world. That's when we see harvest happening. They harvest all of their grapes by hand. And this is very typical of smaller producers and more artisanal wines where, you know, they're not using the big heavy machinery, but they're coming in and removing 
the grape bunches by hand, and that's really to protect the integrity of the fruit. They do use a mechanical pressing process that kind of mirrors what it would be like if you stomped grapes. And then we get into the fermentation and the aging. Um, and this particular wine is all done in stainless steel tanks for their fermentation process, which makes a huge difference. And so when you're not using wood, your grapes really have to kind of speak for themselves. You're not adding any or introducing any additional agents that could change or alter the flavor or the characteristics of the wine. So you're really just dealing with that grape and the fermentation process that is naturally happening in the tanks. The one variable that is highly controlled, though, with stainless steel fermentation is temperature. So that becomes really important to making sure that the wine is structurally sound and has that really nice flavor to it. So this wine um, sits in the tanks for about three months and then is bottled. And we call this a young wine because it really is meant to be consumed pretty quickly after bottling. And so you really want to drink these wines within a year of that bottling and then that purchase date. You, you, this is not a wine that you age. This is not the wine that you throw in the back of your fridge and forget about until five years from now. You will be very, very sad. So, you know, buy it, open it, enjoy it, go buy it again. <laughs> And you can really taste that in the wine. Like when I'm tasting this wine, I'm really getting freshly cut grass mm -hmm. and you just taste how fresh and new it feels. So yeah, this is not a wine you want to sit on. No, it's the flavors are really bright. And because of that effervescence to it, it has a, I like to think of it as a zestiness, right? It's a little bit like key lime zest and salt, yeah. sea salt. And it's got those nice like bites to it that make it really interesting and changes like as you kind of swirl it around your mouth. And those are all features that are part of that young wine category. Um, so let's talk about the region, because to me, that's one of the coolest things about this wine that gives it so much of its characteristics. So this particular vineyard is located in Getaria, which is located just west of San Sebastian in northern coastal Spain. And what's interesting about the Basque country is so you have this like very high cuisine, you know, Michelin starred, food and wine, yada, 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 the whole the whole gamut, right? And on the other end, you have a culture of street food. So pinchos, um, which in Basque is spelled P-I-X-T-O-S, are little like bite-sized snacky food things and they typically come on or come with sticks like just kind of stuck in them and when you go to a pinchas bar like you get what you want and then every table or every little like counter area has like a little cup or a little little skinny vase thing and you put all your sticks in that vase or that cup and then that's how they write your ticket at the end of the night and it's a really fun way to eat um it is something that especially in on the mediterranean side of spain has kind of taken tapas culture by storm so even if you're in like barcelona or valencia there are pincho bars all over like that coast um and it's very very popular with both locals and tourists you know it's very typical for bar food there especially a lot of like standing bars and so there are a lot of places in spain where they just have like bar height tabletops and pinchos and then you go you fill your plate with what you want and then you stand at a table so it's kind of like a quick consumption thing but still really elevated cuisine. Um, so you're still getting things that are fresh, that are seasonal, that are traditionally prepared, um, but they're just being packaged in kind of an individual, like very less stuffy way. Cool. So yeah, so you could definitely have um, 
this wine and have your own little pinchos party. Again, they're super popular. There are a ton of like pinchos cookbooks out there now. Um, very easy to adapt to vegetarian or vegan palates because, you know, the foods in Spain do include a lot of vegetables. I know we just think that, you know, we just go and eat jamon all day long, but it's not true. I promise you. And this is a wine that pairs really well with food. Yeah. What are some things that you might want to pair this with Drea? Like I already, I have thought of a few veggies that I would, that I might even just go out and get for the rest of this bottle, but what would you drink this with? I love that you're assuming you're still going to have some of that bottle by the time we're done with this recording. That's adorable. Um, so, uh, you know, I am a carnivore. Uh, this is one that I love with seafood because it has, and we, I know we haven't really gotten into the palate yet, but it does have um, a strong high minerality to it. It's got a nice zestiness. It's it's almost has a little bit of a salty finish. So I think it goes great with seafood. I like to pair it with cheeses, like a cheese tasting menu. That's always nice. But in terms of like veggies, I love this with like fire grilled vegetables salads so like if you roasted red peppers on an open flame or zucchini or eggplant and threw that into a salad you know made a nice little roasted garlic vinaigrette I, I would be a happy camper yeah I keep thinking as I sip this that I want it with fresh asparagus that's mm. such a spring flavor to me and we've started to, I've started to see some really good bunches of asparagus showing up in the grocery stores and bodegas out here in New York. And I just feel like that would be such a great spring pairing would be this wine and like an entire bunch of sauteed asparagus. Oh, and if you really wanted to go like full on Spanish style, you could find the white asparagus and grill that. Mm. Oh, so good. Maybe like a little romesco drizzle. All right. So I'm getting ahead of myself. The, I'm just excited. Let's let's go back to the beginning. The color of this wine, what I'm seeing in my glass as I hold it up, is this beautiful pale yellow kind of color, and it's just it's just the very lightest shade of yellow. Right, and it definitely has some green undertones to it too, which you know they one of the ways that they describe this wine is like light straw colored or spring straw that still has that hint of green to it. And again, a lot of the color has to do with not only the skins of the grapes, but like the area where, where the grapes are grown. This particular wine, the vineyards that they that the family owns ranges between five to 60 years old. As your vines get older, you get a more mature nuanced grape, but you also begin to limit your production. So older vines tend to produce, you know, better grapes, but fewer of them. And so what the family has consistently done is to plant more vineyards so that their bodega has a future, right? That's still environmentally feasible and that they won't have to completely start from scratch or do things to like alter their vines in ways that aren't sustainable. And their vines are typically planted on southeast facing slopes. So it's a coastal vineyard, but they they plant them on the slopes for additional protection from those sea breezes and in order to receive more sunlight. These slopes tend to be really steep and they're not typically terraced, but they do grow anywhere between 10 and 100 meters above sea level. So this is a pretty wide growing range that we'd see for this one particular wine. And, you know, one of the things that you then get is the soil. And so there's subsoil and then there's topsoil. And for this particular wine, the subsoil is predominantly clay. So clay soil is often very like cool, like it's a cool soil and it's pretty smooth and it produces wine it tends to produce wine anyways that are pretty high in acid which we definitely see reflected in this bottle but the top layer is more of a sandy soil and a sand tends to be a warmer soil because it is airy and has like airflow so 
between that and like the particles of sand, which are, you know, weathered rocks, right? They're little grains. It holds a lot of minerals. And we definitely see that reflected in the wine. And then the other big contributor to what you're getting in your glass is the climate there. That pale green, pale yellow color is really associated with cooler climate wines, uh, cooler climate whites. But the thing with the Basque region is it's also wet. So it tends to, you know, get more rain than a lot of uh, the rest of Spain. And it can be pretty humid there, especially in the summers when these grapes are growing. And so the climate has really dictated how the vines are planted and how they grow. So that's some of like the nerdy uh, eco stuff. And what I love about this wine is the, the aroma and the taste are so radically different. Because when you smell it, it is very fruit forward. There is pear and green apple and Meyer lemon. It's got some floral notes too, a little bit of honeysuckle, gardenia. It's a, it's a very, very pretty bouquet, I think, on the nose. It was interesting when you described it, because when I smelled it, what came to mind was daffodils, mm. which I think goes back to this idea that this is such a fresh spring flavor. Honestly, what first came to mind was just the color yellow, and then daffodils, yellow daffodils, springtime. I love that. I, I love thinking that if yellow, if the color yellow had an aroma, this wine would be it. But yeah, if you're looking for, you know, the technical side of things, it's it's definitely fruit forward in terms of the aroma. Yeah. And once you said those things like pear and apple, then as I sniffed it, it was like, oh, yeah, I totally I, I can see a pear. I can see an apple as I smell this. And so we've talked about color. We've talked about aroma. So the time to put it in our mouth. I mean, we've kind like we haven't been this whole we've time. We've kind of been doing that. I feel like they they know they they're on to us. So maybe let's talk about body, um, because it does this wine does have a very particular feel in your mouth. And so remember, body is kind of the weight or the feel of wine in your mouth. What, what, how does your mouth feel when you drink this wine? <laughs> so the first the first sip and the first flavor was really reminiscent for me of last week's last episode's wine, Donkey and Goat, the Gallivanter, with some of that carbonation and just that feeling of sort of almost like pop rocks in my mouth. Um, and not not as strong as with the, the Donkey and Goat, but I definitely got that that bubbliness again, which was just delightful. What I love about it is because of that effervescence, it's got a really nice bite. It's almost like if, you know, that feeling of like licking a lime a little bit and it changes. Yeah, like, when you described the zestiness earlier, that's immediately what came to mind for me was like zest of lemon, zest of lime. Yep. Um, it's zippy. It's yeah. zippy little wine. We like a happy wine. We do like a happy, zippy wine. And, you know, the other thing about that contributes to that feel is the the acid. So this is a pretty high um, acid wine for white. It's, but I love it. It's, it's high acid in all the right ways. And it has enough of the complementary flavors that make the high acid really approachable and really enjoyable. And that effervescence really helps, I think. So we talked about this a little bit before, you mentioned this before, um, the dryness of this wine. And as soon as you said it, I was like, yes, this is what I love in a wine. But what when when you taste a dry wine, how do you know it's dry? What does that mean? So essentially it means that it's not sweet, right? Yay. Yeah, and so um, like on the scale of wines you go from like bone dry to sweet wines and you're you're so think about like dessert wines um like or even sherries ports things like that and that that sweetness is tends to be heavier on, in the mouth and on the tongue right and it does read as sweet 
and you've got a lot more um, sugars that are in that wine. Um, whereas this doesn't have as many, as much residual sugar. I mean, all wine has sugar, right? Like that's how the fermentation process happens, but, um, this one doesn't have residual sugars. And so it's a much drier wine. The other thing about this wine too, is the combination of where it was grown and how it was produced are really adverse to highlighting that those sugars in the wine and so everything from like the steel tank to um, the types of soil that these grapes are grown in um, to the way it's fermented and how long it's fermented is going to cut down on that sugar content and so yeah this is very bone dry I think it's really fun I think it's a great like spring to summer wine um, this is one that I always have in my fridge what about a situation that you would drink this wine in? Girl, there isn't a situation where I wouldn't drink this wine. I would drink it on a plane. I would drink it on a train. I would drink it in a hot tub. <laughs> like, um, This is just like such a great white for like sitting out by the pool, sitting outside, a park picnic. Uh, it, this is just, this is a wine that's built for like lounging outside, I think. Take it to go, go enjoy the spring flowers, go wander around Central Park and just enjoy, oh, enjoy, enjoy. That sounds wonderful. And the rose, the rosé I've actually done as a picnic wine a number of times. I actually may have a photo of the rosé um, this one's sister, so we can post them both on the Instagram um, so you guys can see the labels. What about a book? <laughs> you are going to hate this so much when I tell you. <laughs> if you say Percy Jackson. <laughs> yes! <laughs> She's silent. She, I can see it. She, I haven't even read it, but I can see she it. She can't even handle it. Yeah. So quarantine, quarantine girl summer. I'm not going to say hot girl summer because that's not what it was. But quarantine girl summer was like me, a kiddie pool, an entire bottle of wine. And I finally read the Percy Jackson <laughs> series. And I would... Anne and I would talk and I would tell her all about it. And she's like, I do not care about this. You need to stop. You need to read. I hate you yeah, so much. Yeah, pretty much. And I was like, I ordered the next series. I ordered the Cade Chronicles. And I would just send her photos and she'd be like, stop. I do not know you. But, you know, this wine is fun. And yeah. I I just think that it doesn't it doesn't need to be weighed down by anything that's that's serious. And so I would say like. Oh, this would be a great wine for Harry Potter, like to reread <laughs> Harry Potter. This would also be a great wine to read, like, honestly, a stack of magazines with. I can already picture for myself that whatever I would be reading, it would turn into a nap. Like, <laughs> I'm reading, I'm drinking, I'm reading, the sun I'm is napping. shining. Oh, look at that. Yep. <laughs> there is this romance novel by... Johanna Lindsay, okay. and I can't even remember the name of it now. Is this the one you've read like, like four times? It's, it's got aliens. It's got space travel. It's got okay. sexy Conan the Barbarian. Okay. You know what? You don't uh, get to say shit about Percy Jackson <laughs> anymore. I feel like I should read this with this wine. Yep. I think that that's... I, f I feel like you're on the right track. Oh, you know what else I would read with this wine? Those ridiculous, twisted tale disney books that i like that you i knew you were that gonna you say that hate. i knew you were gonna you say percy jackson and disney yeah i you know what i may pick up conceal don't feel the twisted version of frozen any minute yeah i feel like we've we're both making good choices what about music you know what this is a solid harry styles most recent album yep wine like that's entirely correct. Yep. Watermelon sugar. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It is fun. It is slightly sexy. You like it way more than you thought you would, and you're a little embarrassed until you just give yourself over to it. That's that's what I want at this wine. In a different and similar direction, <laughs> I would also add for the olds out there. 
uh, LaRue and Tegan oh, and Sarah. I LaRue, feel like yeah. this wine would go very well with that, like, I'm just realizing I'm a lesbian music vibe. I'm going to call it a spring awakening vibe. Yeah. Like, yes, you yes. woke up and realized, like, ladies are hot. And then you also woke up and being like, but so is Harry Styles. And then you're like, these two things are not mutually exclusive. You wanted just to introduce a new pairing, which was which celebrity would you invite over for this bottle? I mean, I feel like those are kind of the people we'd invite over for this bottle. I would definitely invite them for this bottle. I'm trying to think of who else I would invite. Uh, oh, Snow. Maybe I wouldn't invite him. I would invite Julianne Moore. Do we think she's this fun? She is after she has a glass of this wine. Fair. Okay, that's that's fine. That is fair. Um, I would invite Meryl Streep. Yeah, because that's such a better answer. Early in quarantine, she was like, look, here's how you make a martini and drink it at 2 p.m. Live your life. And I feel like she would appreciate this. Speaking of which, I would also invite Stanley Tucci. Mm. Stanley would love this glass. He would be so into this. And then we could talk all about his new show on CNN. And he could give us a whole list of Italian wines because I'm really lagging in that department. He would be great. I would also invite to this party Jon Stewart. And this is not just because I want to invite Jon Stewart to every party because he's my secret boyfriend and he just like doesn't understand that yet. But, you know, he's funny in a really intense way. And I think that this wine is fun, but in a little bit of an intense way. So I feel like they'd vibe together really well. I'm just going to add in Trevor Noah so that we're up to date. Okay, fair. I mean, all right. Jon Stewart was for the old. And also, I do love me some Trevor Noah. I know. He's so fabulous. Trevor, if you're listening, we love you. (laughs) That got a little creepy. Sorry, Sorry, Trevor. So we've enjoyed this really wonderful Chocolina. We have. Easy to find stateside. Easy to find on either coast. What are we drinking next? So next time we are drinking a Pinot Noir from New Zealand. I love a Pinot Noir. I love New Zealand. I knew you would. I can't wait. Um, And this particular bottle was recommended to me by our friends at Chloe Wine Shop in San Diego. And one of the owners happens to be from New Zealand. So um, I felt like I could take his advice and it was going to be great. Love it. So yeah, that will be our next bottle. And I'm excited to pop that one open. But I'm going to enjoy this chocolate a little bit longer, I think. Where can people find us online? Or really, where can they find you online, Drea? Because I'm, I'm not delivering in this area. Really not. We got to work on that. And just so you all know, I send, I text this bitch all sorts of great wine articles. And I'm like, just assuming she'll put up on the Twitter. I don't think it's happening. So we got we got work on that a little bit it's not happening the twitter's not real you guys it's real but it's not being checked i'm sorry the instagram is real so follow us on instagram at two that's t-w-o girls in a great pod we would love to hear from you share with us what you're drinking and something that we really want to get started now that we like have a real fan is we are building our own wine wheel so suggestions that come in from our listeners we're going to put them on a wheel and then we're going to spin the wheel and you all are going to get to pick some bottles or some shenanigans for us to engage in so hit us up on instagram slide up into those dms i'm answering them or email us at two girls in a great pod at gmail.com apparently twitter's on hiatus so mm. we each bring our own strengths to this we really do and social media is not one of my strengths <laughs> i really like dog videos so i watch i watch a lot of reels not mad until next time until next time salute Salud.